0: Hey folks, I'm attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense. Welcome to our coverage of the Kim Potter manslaughter trial over the April 11th, 2021 shooting death of Duante Wright in a suburb of Minneapolis, when then-police officer Potter accidentally used her Glock 17 pistol in place of her intended taser. Three more jurors were seated today for a total of 12 seated jurors. Two more jurors are needed as alternates, and we should expect they'll be seated tomorrow. The defense exhausted two of its three remaining strikes in removing two prospective jurors today, leaving the defense with only one peremptory strike going into tomorrow's jury selection. The state, of course, exhausted its last peremptory strike yesterday. With respect to one of the defense strikes today, that of juror number 46, an Asian woman, the state made a Batson challenge, which I'll explain in a bit. But this was rather summarily dismissed by Judge Chu. Now, before I jump into things, I do want to briefly mention an exceptional opportunity for your consideration. Perhaps once every year or a year and a half, we do one of our full-day Law of Self-Defense Advanced Self-Defense Law classes. This is a full-day class that's the equivalent of a law school seminar on self-defense law. It's applicable to all 50 states and taught in my usual plain English style without any confusing legalese. This class is taught live by me, streamed to you at your computer using Zoom. And because it's live, there's plenty of opportunity for live Q&A with me during the class. Because we allow for live Q&A, however, we have to sharply limit the number of seats available. So on the rare occasions when we do one of our live Law of Self-Defense Advanced classes. They invariably fill up almost immediately after we announce the date, and we've announced the date for this one. It's taking place on Saturday, January 8th. If you've ever wanted a true mastery of the Law of Self-Defense, here's the best opportunity to grab that expertise with both hands. And again, seats are already going fast, so if you're at all interested, I urge you to grab your slot today by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com advanced. With that said, let's talk about who was seated, who was uh, struck, and who is dismissed from jury consideration today. Uh, First seated was juror number 40, uh, presented as a white male who described his profession as that of an IT security professional, although he spent about a half hour in voir dire. Not a minute of that was by the state prosecutors who simply passed on him without questioning. On voir dire by Judge Chu, number 40 had affirmed that he had somewhat negative impressions of both Potter and Wright, but that these would not affect his ability. To be fair, he did indicate that if he learned that Potter had additional issues as a police officer, that could influence his perception of her. In terms of prior interaction with law enforcement, number 40 had a previous DUI some years earlier, but indicated that he thought he'd been treated fairly and got what I deserved. He also had a couple of memorable stops on his motorcycle, once for loud pipes, once for riding without a helmet in a different state, and he seemed less happy about those. He also expressed concerns about his own safety and the safety of his home and family if people were upset with the verdict. Whatever that might be, but he said he was equally concerned about such dangers in the case of either a guilty or not guilty verdict, such that it would not influence the outcome. In his questionnaire, he noted that it didn't appear to him that the arrest of Wright by the male officer was being handled in as controlled a manner as it should have. He also indicated in the questionnaire that he thought Potter should have known that she had drawn her pistol rather than her taser as a result of muscle memory from training and long experience as a police officer, like a driver knows which pedal is the brake and which is the gas. He also noted that Duante Wright himself made a poor decision in attempting to get back into the car and that he was aware that Wright was known to the police even prior to this incident. Juror number 40 himself had, while in high school, been interested in being a police officer and had participated in a police explorer activity that sounded much like what Kyle Rittenhouse had been participating in. Ultimately, number 40's reason for not pursuing a police career was the fear that he might someday be required to use his firearm. Juror number 40 strongly disagreed that one should not second guess police officer decisions saying anybody should be subject to having their actions reviewed. He was mostly favorable to both blue lives matter and black lives matter although he didn't feel black lives matter was actually achieving any tangible outcomes. He also owns a shotgun although he indicated he'd not used it in some 20 years. All in all, number 40 felt like a modest win for the defense to me. IT people are generally accustomed to and amenable to ongoing training and education and adjusting their understanding as a result of that training and education as the field is ever evolving. I expect there will be a great deal of use of force education offered by the defense in this trial, and jurors able and willing to keep an open mind and be informed by that education should shift in a more favorable direction towards Potter. Now, at the lunch break, it was reported by a local news organization reporting from the courthouse uh, the following with respect to race and gender of the 10 jurors seated by today's lunch break, quote, so far, the jury is five men, five women, seven white people, two Asian jurors, and one black juror. Now, I should mention this is exclusive of the last two jurors seated today in the afternoon, number 48 and 50, but number 48 is certainly a woman, and number 50 is certainly a white male, at least by their voices. The next juror seated was after lunch. It was juror number 48, apparently a woman by voice uh, who worked in IT management for tech companies. Uh, She had written in her jury questionnaire that Duante should not have died for an expired license tag. The result didn't match the crime. Asked about this by Judge Chu, number 48 assured the court that she could set that opinion aside and would be open-minded and fair. Juror number 48 had also previously protested outside a local ICE immigration facility to protest the putting of immigrant babies in cages based on all that i'd bet on the defense using a peremptory strike but the defense did not however strike juror number 48 but declared her acceptable to them the state obviously liked what it saw and passed on dismissing her after a very short voir dire so juror number 48 became the 11th juror seated on this trial Then we get to the third person seated today, juror number 55. He presented as a middle-aged white male who had previously been a machinist mate in the Navy and currently worked as an IT engineer. This juror definitely had some interesting backstory, including having been tasered while in the Navy as part of his training as a gate guard and engaging in recreational medieval steel fights involving suits of armor and steel weapons, although he says with dulled edges. His wife and daughter had about a year earlier been victims of a carjacking carried out by young Hispanic or black men, but he said he could separate that event from this case. He owned several firearms, including a couple of shotguns, a rifle, two handguns, but didn't seem very active in any type of shooting sport or hunting. Juror number 55 indicated that he was largely neutral on both Potter and Wright, as other than seeing the body cam video once, he had no real substantive information on the event, In any case, ultimately, both the defense and the state, which has no more strikes, passed on juror 55, so he became the 12th juror seated on this trial. At that point, Judge Chu called it a day and the court recessed. But between the recess at the end and the start at the beginning, there were, of course, other jurors who didn't make it onto the jury. Uh, Two of these were struck by the defense. Uh, The state began today's proceedings having exhausted all three of its peremptory strikes. The defense, however, came into the day with three of its five strikes remaining. By day's end, however, the defense would have exhausted two of those, leaving it with one remaining peremptory strike for tomorrow. Juror 46 was one of those struck by the defense, uh, in large part because apparently in her social media, she celebrated cop convictions, and clearly she desperately needed to be struck by the defense. On initial voir dire by Judge Chu, number 46 acknowledged writing in a juror questionnaire that she was sad for the victim and sad for the officer, ending a long career in such a fashion. She also characterized Duante Wright's death as another traumatic event for a city already well-traumatized. We also learned that number 46 was in her first year of law school after a political science undergraduate degree and intended to practice in the area of public policy. My read on this after her next remarks, we'll come to in a moment, was that her political science degree was likely of the Marxist bent and her pursuit of public policy would be similarly focused. Then the wheels came off as far as her acceptability to the defense. Juror number 46 was an activist seeking equity reforms throughout the criminal justice system. While she didn't explicitly call for defunding the police, she did call for a quote unquote different allocation of resources, which is of course largely what defund the police means. Juror number 46 also had a negative view of Blue Lives Matter, noting that one could take off one's uniform at the end of the day, but not one's skin color. And this was a sentiment that would later be echoed by juror 55 later in the day, who was seated on the jury. The final nail in the coffin, however, emerged when attorney Eng for the defense noted that he'd reviewed her social media and found numerous posts unfavorable to the police and celebratory of trials in which the police officer defendant was convicted. I'm presuming they here mean here the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, juror number 46 tried to waive this away, but that wasn't happening, and the defense used a peremptory strike to remove her. Now, later in the day, we would learn that the state had apparently filed a Batson challenge to the defense peremptory strike of number 46. A Batson challenge alleges that a juror was struck for reasons of race or gender, which is impermissible. Juror number 46, we discovered when the Batson challenge was uh, discussed in court, was not just female, but also Asian. Judge Chu made short work of this Batson challenge, however, noting that there were race-neutral and gender-neutral rationales for the defense to strike number 46, and also that there were already two Asian jurors deemed acceptable by the defense and seated on the jury. Then we get to the second juror struck by the defense. This is juror number 51. And frankly, she actually looked to me like a juror favorable to the defense right up until the end. And even then, I didn't think the defense would strike her, but they obviously saw something in her that we could not see in the broadcast because of course the jurors are not shown. Juror number 51 presented as a white woman who worked in a bank in the fraud area and who came to the trial with a somewhat negative impression of Potter and Wright both. She assured Judge Chu she could set those views aside. Her brother had served in the National Guard and actually guarded this same Hennepin County courthouse during the Derek Chauvin trial. She recounted that he had told her that he'd been screamed at by protesters while working outside the courthouse, then praised by the people who appreciated the security when he was inside the courthouse on breaks. She also had a sister who worked for a sheriff's office, although not as a sworn officer. Juror number 51 expressed some considerable concern about her identity being eventually disclosed as one of the jurors on this trial, if she were seated, which of course, eventually it would. She had also served previously on a criminal jury, a drug case, and found the jury service educational, she said. She also had an aunt and uncle who had been robbed on vacation and a sister whose husband had been threatening her. The police response to all this was satisfactory to her. She also had an educational background in criminal justice, primarily in the evidence collection type of function. With that criminal justice background and prior jury service then, it was a bit shocking when she told defense counsel Earl Gray on voir dire that she would have great difficulty setting aside any failure of defendant Potter testifying at trial. And Gray pressed her on this, even though the defense has told several jurors that Potter will be testifying, and noted that she should know by her background that the defendant had an absolute fifth amendment right to not testify and her failure to testify is not to be used against her. But juror number 51 was insistent that she would have difficulty setting aside a failure to testify and would be wondering just what it was. The defendant was hiding. So that was it for the seated and the struck jurors. Of course, there were a number of dismissed jurors as well. I don't want to spend much time on the dismissed jurors except to make a general observation about the state's approach to them. In particular, three of the four jurors dismissed today explicitly stated their bias against the defense in open court, and the state actually fought to keep two of these. The first, number 33, simply told Judge Chu upfront that he saw Duante write in his own students that he teaches and simply could not put that aside. The second, number 35, claimed she could be unbiased, but conceded that she had regularly participated in social justice protests, including events in which she held justice for Duante signs. Interestingly, the reason Judge Chu gave for dismissing this juror was not her obvious bias, but rather that number 35 had a trip scheduled during the period of the trial that would be difficult to reschedule. In both those cases, Assistant DA Matthew Frank fought to try to rehabilitate those patently biased jurors and have them seated on the jury. The third juror dismissed in the morning, number 39, had such a poor grasp of English that although he struck me as fair and impartial, he was, in my opinion, technically incompetent to serve as a juror. It seemed likely he would not understand substantive testimony and would have a great difficulty during deliberations. Indeed, I often could not tell what he was saying, and he often seemed to translate questions in his head from English to some more familiar language before he answered them. Ultimately, Judge Chu granted the defense request to dismiss Number 39 for cause, this time not only over the objection of the state and its efforts to rehabilitate him, but even after... The dismissal of the state insisted on putting on the record its objections and its belief that number thirty nine would have been just fine as a juror and Judge Chu actually chuckled at this notion then, in the afternoon, the court dismissed juror number fifty two for cause after she shared with the court a badly told story about how a friend of hers involved in a hit and run and they were not the victim vehicle was later castigated by quote-unquote Detective Potter for having a black boyfriend who would be a bad influence on her. Juror number 52 was sufficiently excited about this story that even she quite forthrightly acknowledged she could not be a fair and impartial juror on this trial for the defendant, and Judge Chu dismissed her for cause without objection by either the defense or the state. So I'm not going to talk more about those dismissed jurors. I will say that the video of their voir dire and the video of all the voir dire and the Batson Challenge commentary by Judge Chu is embedded in the text version of today's content. All right, folks, that's all I have for all of you tonight, except to say, remember, if you carry a gun so you're hard to kill, that's why I carry a gun so I'm hard to kill, my family is hard to kill, then you also owe it to yourself and your family to make sure you know the law so you're hard to convict. So don't forget to join us again at Legal Insurrection tomorrow morning for our live coverage of what hopefully is the last day of jury selection in this trial. Until then, I remain Attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense. Stay safe.